morning, Gateway. As Jordan said, I'm Dean Salami, and um, I would ask, if you could, uh, we are in a season of prayer. We're trying to figure out what the Lord has in store for us. So pray number one, as Jordan said, pray for Ed, our pastor. He's away getting a refreshment uh, from ministry, and uh, hopefully he comes back uh, ready to lead and direct and guide us. Um, but I'd ask this also that you guys would be praying for me. Uh, so, you know, I've loved teaching the Word of God, and me and my big mouth have done it so often now that I get to go to Thailand. So, at the end of this month, I'll be traveling to Thailand, and I'll spend some time there teaching. I do cover your prayers. Uh, for us today, though, you've got me for the next two weeks, okay? Ed's away, and the only other preacher, John, he also is away, and so... Sorry. <laughs> but I'm going to try and do my job for you guys today. And so I just ask that you join me in prayer right now, and I'll get us kicked off, okay? Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to get together. Lord, it is a blessing for us to be able to gather together uh, without any concern about safety or the danger of what that means. We know that uh, other people, other believers in other parts of the world don't have this unique opportunity. So, Father, each week I pray that we don't take it for granted. If we look at this world today, just our country, Lord God, we see things are not going all that well. We need a fresh reminder of what you have designed us for and the instructions for life that you've called us to live. And so today we go back into your word, Lord God, and we look at the Ten Commandments. These commandments that you had given to the children of Israel, Lord God, many believe today because of the advent of Jesus that somehow it has been done away with. But my prayer, Lord God, is that you would remind us afresh today that those Ten Commandments are foundational for the life of the believer, the people of God. So as much as possible, Lord God, I ask that you help me to get out of the way. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me so that your people would be able to hear what you would have them to learn. And that when it's done, Lord God, we will be reminded of the great God that you are and this incredible life that you have called us to. So take this time and consecrate it, Lord God. Bless it for each ear and heart that's here. I pray that you would settle our minds. Help us not to be so fidgety. We know we have those young little ones, and even they can hear your word. So I pray again that you would speak as I commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So looking at these young ones, I was reminded of how much I enjoyed being a dad. That was a bit of a surprise for me because, you know, me and children didn't get along all that well all the time. But one of the things that I loved was uh, engaging with my kids. And pretty early on in their lives, I realized there was two important things that I needed to teach them. I needed to teach them about the Lord. I needed to teach them about life. And we know that the two go together, right? So I love talking about different things, something as trivial as phones. So one day, uh, our oldest, Amanda, came home and tried to make the case to me why she should get a phone. She made the mistake with leading off with, well, everybody else is doing it or has one. And I said to her in response, if I named you everybody else salami, you might have a case. But since I didn't, request denied. 
there's only two places you need to be during the week. One in school, and oh, by the way, they have phones in school, so if you need me, you can call me. The other is here at home, and we've got plenty of phones here. But that's trivial, right? Life is a lot more sometimes difficult than that. Life gets in the way, and these children, these children need to know how to navigate those obstacles. Well, today, God is going to, we're going to get back to the story where we are talking about the Exodus. God has saved his people, the children and descendants of his friend Abraham, and he's, he took them away from the cruel hands of the Egyptians, and now they're a free people. But one of the things that we have to make sure we remember that God didn't just free them from slavery. He freed them for something else. And what that something else is, we're going to get a glimpse of it here in the Ten Commandments. Okay? So because you have me for two weeks, I'm going to deal with the first four commandments today. Right? And if I don't drive you away, we'll finish up the others next week. Okay? So let me start by reading the text for you. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 20. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And that's just covering the first four commands. All right, so when God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands, commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May it please the Lord to add a blessing to the reading of his word. So I want you to notice, if we go back to the beginning, there's a couple of things that you pick up on here. The Lord is speaking directly to the children of Israel. He's not speaking through Moses. That gives us a good hint as to how important the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments will not be written until a little later. We'll get there in a few weeks. But today, God is about to enter into a covenant with his people. And these Ten Commandments are going to be the basis of that covenant. So one of the things that you see here right away is the first thing that God says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the slavery, out of the land of slavery. Now, in the ancient Near East, when someone does something for you, there's a moral obligation for you to, be, to respond in kind. Okay, so when you look at this, in the beginnings here, 
what God had done for them. Do you remember how the children of Israel responded to them? Remember that? Our little ones remember sometimes when they're hungry, what do they do? They kick and scream, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. As if in the three or four years that they've lived in that you've never fed them before, right? The children of Israel were very much the same way. When they were hungry, they wanted to get food. And they said, was it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here so that we could die from hunger? The same with the water. They're not starting off on, a good, on any good foot, feet right now, right? Their ground is shaking because what they realize that, the God, that God has done, what, what they have failed to realize is what God has done for them. And they're not already responding in kind. But what God is doing here is now setting up a scenario where he's going to just delineate some of the things that he wants from them. And what we learn from that is not just what we need in order to live, but also to help us to see the God that we serve. The expectation for us to respond out of gratitude should be one that we make sure we recognize because we here at Gateway constantly say that God is a give-first God. And that's what's going on here. The children of Israel did not cry out to God to save them. He took it upon himself to do that. And that has always been God's habit. He does for you first, and then he asks something from you. He did it with Adam and Eve. Remember, of all the trees in the garden, you may freely eat, except one. But it was God who created that environment for them, where they could flourish and have all the delights that they see in front of them, and he had just one restriction. And we'll see as we go through these how important it is for us to heed what God is saying here. So he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What would it look like for us to be able to respond in kind? Well, have a look at what Joseph, the son of Jacob, responds as he's tempted by Mrs. Potiphar. Could you guys bring that next slide up for me, please? Nope. That's the one. Thank you. So in Genesis 39, 8 to 9, what we have here is Mrs. Potiphar comes to, and we've got kids in the audience, so Mrs. Potiphar comes to Joseph and asks him to do something that's not really, really good for him. And he responds, he responds this way. He refused. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? In a moment of trial, Joseph remembers God. But the thing that I find most interesting about this, and one of the reasons why I love Joseph, is because there in the Bible is no recorded interaction between Joseph and God. Not one. I'm not saying that Joseph did not know God because he clearly knew enough about God to be able to say he does not want to sin against God. But how is it that he was able to do that? I have a feeling his daddy had something to do it because he taught him about what it was to be a follower of God. And God is right here with the children of Israel. There is no question about who God, who God is and because he's the one speaking. But will they respond to God like Joseph, do we, the way we live our lives today, as crazy as our culture is, are we living in light of God like Joseph is? 
we need this reminder for us. The response that we have to have for God is one that remembers what he has done and responds accordingly. So let's get to the first commandment. First commandment, next. You shall have no other gods before me. Now remember, this is a relationship that God is calling his people into. So not having any gods. Now God, let's make sure we're clear. In the ancient Near East, people believed in a whole bunch of gods. Right? In fact, any one nation would have a national god, a family god, and then a personal god. Imagine that. So what God is saying here is, I'm all of that, so you only need me. Don't put anybody in front of me. Don't put anybody beside me. In other words, don't let anybody get in the way of you and me. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. And that's the one thing that differentiated the God of Israel from any other God. Number one, we never had a God in any of the ancient cultures that would speak directly to the people like God is doing here. He is giving clear instructions on how to live. Whereas in ancient other, cult, other cultures in the ancient Near East, they will always try to figure out how to live. And they were willing to do anything, and they actually did anything to try and make their lives on earth good. But they did it without any instructions, no real instructions. So God says, do not have any other gods before me. God has proven that before that, God has proven that he wants for them to be able to grow in this knowledge of knowing who he is and acting in response to those instructions that he's given them. So when we look at these commandments, they, we often look at them as if these are just hard, fast rules for us to follow. And if you don't follow them, somehow God wants to punish you. But that's not the real way it is. Because God knows what happens when you do put other gods before him. And we're going to develop that a little bit more as we talk about these next three uh, commandments. So God has given us this, these commands. And next, is there another? Uh, yes. Okay. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the second commandment. You shall not make an image for, of uh, anything in heaven above or earth below or in the waters below. Uh, beneath, sorry. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, it's important that God is saying what he's saying here. Not, you're not to make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath. Because they heard a voice from the mountain. Moses goes on to make it a little bit clearer. Can you guys go to the next slide, please? Two places we get the real understanding as to what God wants when he says, don't make any image. Then the Lord said to Moses, and this is Exodus 20, 20 to 22, is actually supposed to be 22 to 23. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourself that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gold, or gods of gold. And then in Deuteronomy 4, 4, 4, 14 to 17, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourself very carefully so that you do not become corrupt 
and make yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or birds that fly in the air. You can't capture God. And what God is saying, don't try. Because you are not going to be able to encapsulate who God is. You can't sit and look at him and think you capture everything there is about God. But what you can do is track him. It's the things that God does that lets you know who God is. And so don't let yourself get distracted by trying to conjure up an image about God. Listen to what he says and follow what he tells you to do to live. Paul, the apostle, recognizes when we fail here, what happens? And he, he writes it down for us in Romans chapter 1, 21 to 23. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. See, when we don't heed God, we suffer from the very thing that the serpent introduced in the garden. Has God said? That was the question, right? And what was the thing he said that would happen? Because if you ate of the tree, you would become like God. And when we try to make an image of God, that's exactly what we do. We try to conjure up who God is, but in actuality, it is us who's trying to be God. We don't have anywhere near the information we need to be able to be the God, be God, the God that God is. But because we want to control things, and we have never recovered from this. Look at the world. We are redefining everything here in this culture. You see it every single day, right? We're redefining the very things that once made us strong and made the most sense. But because we want to be God, we want to be the God of our own lives. You know how it is here in the United States. We've got rugged individualism. We'll pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? And oh, by the way, lately, you can't tell me what to do. I get to do whatever I want. But that doesn't work in real life. And we're seeing it play out that way. You shall have no other God beside me. You should not make any image of any God. Because what we really want to do is make small images of ourselves. You know how it is. I have the, the joy of discipling and counseling people. And I had one friend of mine who uh, was constantly in friction with his wife. And he would always use, well, God said this or God said that. And I was, I'd ask him, well, okay, what, if we look at everything that God has actually said, is what you're saying that you want from your wife ex lines up with what God is saying in the Bible? And guess what we found? It wasn't. So I asked the question, which God are you referring to? The God of the Bible or you? He was a little offended by that. But the truth of the matter is that it is this. He's restricting, I mean, he's reconstructing the way things need to be because he wants what he wants. But God says this is not the way to go because the end of that is not going to help. The reason why he's giving us these instructions is so that we know how to live the way he's designed us to live. Let's take a look at some of the things that God has said. He says, I'm jealous. Jealous there, God is not jealous of 
anyone. But he is jealous for us. It's not as if he's got something, some insecurity that he's worried about, that if you, if you put that affection somewhere else, somehow I'm not going to be good. No, God is not changed by the things that we do, but he knows that we are. And if we go about running after other gods, the one thing that we have to really worry about is not just the life that we would live, but then we have to deal with God. And he's trying to tell you up front, hey, listen, don't let this happen to you. It's like when my kids were little, I would tell them, hey, your life is going to be very, very easy if you listen to mom and dad. Because I'm a freight train. Your job is to get out of my way when you don't listen. Because I'm not going to stop. And the pain that could come is not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. And I would tell them up front, I don't want that for you. And God is doing exactly the same here. But what he's saying is here, he's going to punish the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, we know in the Bible that God would say, don't punish the children for the sins of their parents. So what is God saying here? He is not saying that he's going to punish the children because of what the parents did. But what he will do is punish the children for repeating the same sins of their parents. And if they lead them down this road where they're picking up idolatry, that habit, that pain, that, that punishment, they're going to constantly live over and over again. And when we look at the future history of Israel through the Old Testament, we see that that's the problem that they constantly run into. It's the constant problem that we see today. But notice the difference here. His punishment is going to go down to the third and fourth generation. But his love to a thousand generations, that's virtually saying like forever, okay? Well, so what God is saying is that he's going to have to correct us in order to get us in the right direction. But if you get in the right direction, man, for a long time, you will benefit from the blessings of God. He wants to bless us. It's like when Moses was ready to die and the children of Israel were ready to get into the promised land, he made a very clear thing. Look, I'm going to put a choice between before you guys. Life and death, let me help you out. Choose life. That's exactly what God is doing here. By giving this comparison that the punishment of the children would last three and four generations, but comparing it and contrasting it to the fact that his love will endure for a thousand, well, he's making the choice very easy for us. Will we take that choice? That's the question on the table. That was the second command. Let's move on to the third command. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, a lot of times we think that we, should, we hear this, this commandment, and we think that somehow it's limited to speech. Like take the, world, the, the Lord's name in vain. Like say a cuss word with the name, Lord's name in there, right? But in actuality, the Hebrew doesn't actually give us that understanding. Because generally speaking, when it says misuse and it had speech in mind, you would hear one of, generally speaking, you would hear something about the lips, the mouth, or the tongue. So what does he mean by this? He actually is talking about his name being the thing that you are now identified by. And if you live away in a way that is not in line with that name, that is how you're misusing his name. Paul understand this, understood this in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, there was, when he read, wrote this letter, there was an audience that was mixed, both Gentile and Jews. But he specifically, in this section, Romans 2, 
23 to 24, he targets the Jewish people in the audience. You know why? He says it here. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's not because, of they, because they're talking about the law. Because remember, he's saying that they're boasting about it. But he says because they are breaking the law. Our lives are such. Like how do you do with your neighbors when they see that and they know that you're a Christian? If you call yourself a Christian, are your li- is, is your life in line with that name? What it means to be? You know, Gandhi has reportedly said, said that he loves Christ, but he doesn't like those Christians. It's because what Christ stood for and how we lived did not line up. And when we do that, and it causes other people to look negatively on the Lord, that's when we are the ones who are misusing the name of the Lord. You know how it is with your parents. I'm Nigerian, and so every time when I was growing up, as I left, we lived in the projects, and so it was a rough part of the neighborhood, and so my mom wanted to make sure I understood how to conduct myself when I was outside. Every time I would leave, she would say, remember whose son you are. You bear our family's name, and what we expect is that you would act accordingly. Are we misusing the word, the Lord's name these days? When we work, do we join in in some of the banter that's going on that may not be so wholesome? How do we treat our neighbors? Are we good there? How do we treat our family? Are we good there? Husbands and wives, setting examples for those little ones that are sitting next to you, are we doing that well? Well, if we are not allowing ourselves to line up with what God has called us to, then we are misusing his name. And we don't want to do that. So the fourth commandment, and this one I want us to camp down on a little bit. because This is a good place to camp. It has a lot of practical things for us to consider. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. And I don't know about you, but every time I think of Sabbath, I think of Saturday. Any of you get that? But Shabbat actually means stop. It's the stop day. Don't do anything. But let's take a closer look at what this text is saying. So, Mike, look at that. So, remember by keeping it holy. So, we could give, we could, rec- we could all sit here and recognize, hey, I know that the Sabbath is great. That's, that's a mental ascent, right? But how do you keep it holy? Back, back up, Mike, back up. By keeping it holy, what does that mean? 
Are you guys on a day-to-day basis, are you actually getting to the place where you recognize the day of rest or the stop day is coming, and are you preparing for it? So when my kids were little, one of the things I loved to start doing was I wanted to shop during the week. Because while the Saturday came, there's a whole bunch of people, there's a million of our closest friends who are trying to shop as well because they can't get there during the week. So I did not want to spend and waste time on a Saturday to try and get my shopping done. So what I was trying to teach my kids was, let's get everything done on a, on, during the week so that Saturday we could prepare for that stop day, that rest day. How are you guys doing? Let's take a look at the world today. Remember, everything that God is teaching us here has practical implications for us on a day-to-day basis. He is establishing a nation with the children of Israel, and if they, if they fit this mold, they will be able to break out of the thing that they knew for 430. They knew nothing but slavery. But what God is doing is trying to reform their thinking, and this, the Sabbath, is part of that. Imagine a day, a stop day for slaves who don't have to work. They're not being driven by their masters. They get a chance to just stop. But you have to make sure that you're remembering that day on a week-to-week basis by actually keeping it holy. Set that part, that day apart from every other day in the week. Are we doing that? Because when we fail to do that, we see it already. Remember those days when the the stores would close on a Sunday? We don't have that anymore. Every day is the same, right? There is no holy day. There is no day that's set apart for everybody to just stop. But look at how it's played out in our society. The next one, next part. Six days you should work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So if we keep holy the Sabbath day, We revere it. But this is also meant to create a rhythm for us. Six days we work, one day we stop. Six days we work, one day we stop. Six days we work, one day we stop. Do we stop? Critically important. Is there that break? And here's why. Next slide. Want rest? This day is designed for everybody to rest. So in that, in that time, if there, were, uh, there was a king, he would get to rest. Those closest to him would get to rest. But the slaves, guess what? They'd have to keep on working. God is saying that's not going to be the case for you. You used to be slaves, so you, knew, you know what this looks like. And so on this day, I want you to stop everything. And everybody who's associated with you, I want them to stop. You, your family, your slaves, even your animals need to get a break. Critically important. But the reason for this, for us to revere the day, to build this rhythm, and to get this rest is for the fourth thing. Take a look for this. Take a look at this. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's a reflection here for us to make sure that we're clear on. What is it that God says, to, that um, the Bible says that God did with the Sabbath day? The very end. What did he do? He made it holy. What's the first thing that he says for us to do in verse 8? To keep it holy. So we 
who bear God's image act just like God. And that's what an image bearer of God means. It's not what we look like, but it is what we do. And the way we maintain a faithful, if, we are, if we're going to maintain a faithful image-bearing life, we will continue to do the things that God has called us to do. Why is this important? Because in those days of reflection, when we are getting a chance to stop, it allows for us to look at our lives and see, do we line up? Are we following what Jesus has called us to, what God has called us to? The children of Israel, you know this story. You guys know the story. This is great, Ten Commandments, but do they follow it? No. And look at what happens to their lives. Jesus was asked by his closest, one of his closest friends, Philip, show us the Father. And he was like, wait a minute, what? How, how long have I been with you and you don't recognize me? That's how close Jesus' life was to his Father. But this reflection I love it mainly because of the fact that with my children, and I have my, my youngest, Allie, with me today, so I'm going to brag on her a little bit. She, her, her heart has always been sensitive to the Lord. I remember one of the things what we would do on our Sabbath is that we would always have devotions every morning. It came, right before, it came before breakfast. If, I'm, if they say I'm hungry, buckle up. You're going to have a devotion time first, okay? And what we would do is some fun things. We would introduce songs, and hey, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I, my dad was Muslim, so I leaned on my wife. One of the things that we would introduce is a fun song before devotion. And one of the, one of the family favorites was Jesus is the Rock. It would go like this. He's above, below, before, behind, and around me. He's above, below, before, behind, and around me. He's above, below, before, behind, and around me. Jesus is the rock on which I stand. The reason why it was fun is because we would start out slow, and we would try to see how fast we could sing that song and it'd be pounding on our fists in the whole time. But what it did was, because Jesus was our rock, we started our devotional time with a word of prayer after the praise. It was one time we were going through the story of Joseph. We talked about how Joseph was so sensitive to the Lord. And little Allie, she was maybe three or four, she started crying. I said, what, what's going on, babe? I realize I'm not like that. Three or four. But see, that's what giving a time of reflection does. And we're reminded about why it's important that this command be followed. See, Allie gave her life to the Lord at five years of age, not because of something supernatural that we were doing, but because we followed what the Lord was doing and living the way that he wanted, and we tried our best to model, not that we were perfect, but we tried our best, both he, she and her sister, both believers, very early ages, because we followed the Lord's command for the Sabbath. So how are we doing? If you look at those little kids next to you, are they being taught? Have you created a space for them where they can stop and they can rest? The way in which our lives are tied to whether or not we do this. God designed it that way. We are to be his image bearers for the world. And if we're going to do it well, it's simple. Not that it's easy, but it is simple. We are supposed to follow these commands because these commands are not hard and fast rules. These are meant to instruct us on how to live life and to live it well. Well, I'm out of time. 
So when we get to the next section, this is going to be a little bit more applicable to our boys and girls. So if you could, come on back and stay tuned, and we will go through this another time, and we'll finish up. And we're going to try and finish up all six commandments and get everything done. We're going to try and work our way through the end of chapter 20 and see what the Lord has in store for us. I hope this has been helpful. I pray that this would be something that you would consider if you're not doing it right now. The world needs to be reminded of why God is very, very real. He's not just something we've made up. And if we live lives, these lives that, we got, that God has given us, we leave the, live these lives well, well, maybe they have a chance to see what it looks like when people of God live the way that God has called them to live. Let me end in prayer. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the God that speaks, and you speak directly to us. You give us these commands to form and forge our lives so that we would be the people that you've called us to. Today is the day in which, today in the days in which we live, Lord God, we recognize that this is not the standard of living. And what we're seeing is that things are just gradually getting worse and worse. Yet, in the midst of this, Lord God, we recognize that there's a beauty that you've intended that those who know you see. And we can stay faithful to the call because, because, of, because of this word that you've given us and these commands that you've called us to, we know that there's hope. Not because of anything that we're doing, because, but because we know that you are the God for the Israelites who freed them from slavery. And you are no different today than you were then. Because Jesus, you are the God who has saved us from our very own sin. We were enslaved to our sin. And you have freed us, paying for that with your own blood. So, like Joseph of old, Lord God, help us to live our lives in such a way that we would remember the moral obligation that we have for you. And that we would be able to respond and live lives in that way in which would please you. So, Father, take this time, take these words, bless it to the, your people's hearts, and have, may, may you empower us to live accordingly. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.